there are many important questions in life. What is the meaning of life? How did the universe begin? If a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, in March 1992, Def Leppard chose to ask the very most important of questions at the beginning of the very first song of the first album of the 1990s. It was such a universal question, one of such paramount importance to humanity, that they decided it should be at the front of the very first single of the 1990s. And it was this. Do we want to get right? Yes, Def Leppard. Yes, we did. And yes, we do. Very much so. Thank you for obliging. And up to this point, Def Leppard were a band that very much and very explicitly in their music liked to get rocked. And here they are between 1980 and 1987, just to prove that point. You see, Def Leppard's first four albums contain no less than five songs about and referencing rock. Let's start at the beginning. On Through the Night doubles down with Rock Brigade and Rocks Off. High and Dry, slightly different. When working on High and Dry, I'm assuming that they thought the album was already quite heavily influenced by ACDC. So they decided against duplicating ACDC's seemingly insatiable desire that the word rock features in the maximum number of song titles and that this might have just been a little bit of a step too far for the laps and therefore on high and dry they allowed the rock field to lie fallow they made up for it though with pyromania doubling down yet again with rock rock in brackets till you drop and rock of ages the fourth album features the more subtly titled rocket which to the untrained eye looks like a song about spaceships but to our expert ears, Leopard Friends, with its multiple references to the 60s and 70s glam and rock artists, is clearly a play on words, and is as much rock hit as it is rockette. And in 1992, Def Leppard released the album Adrenalize, and it begins with Let's Get Rocked, so it's the band's sixth explicit rock song in five albums. However, this, the first Def Leppard release of the 1990s, is also their last original song, a song written by the band, that explicitly declares rock in its title and rock at its core. So in this episode 3 of the officially unofficial Def Leppard podcast, Def Leppard Pod, we'll take a closer look at Let's Get Rocked and we'll explore whether the fact that they stopped singing about rock after 1992 means they abandoned it altogether. Let's go. Right then, so the first thing I want to touch on with Let's Get Rocked to get the ball rolling are the two first public live performances of the song as they occur under very different circumstances. Now Joe Elliott has said of Let's Get Rocked 
that it was celebratory and it was written for a stadium. Now, contrary to this, the very first public performance of Let's Get Rocked was in a small venue in Dublin with a capacity of 500, a place called McGonagall's, and it happened on the 15th of April, 1992. And whilst it might not have been a stadium, there was something to celebrate for new guitarist Vivian Campbell, who was able to enjoy his first Def Leppard gig at McGonagall's. Now, there's a neat connection here between Vivian, McGonagall's and Def Leppard that provides a backdrop to this first gig with the band. In the early 1980s, Vivian Campbell was in an Irish band called Sweet Savage, who regularly played McGonagall's, which was a relatively local venue, and Vivian was already a Def Leppard fan. And he spoke about Sweet Savage playing high and dry on cassette in their car over and over again, there and back, on the very night that they themselves played McGonagall's. And little did he know that he would be playing in the same band for the first time 11 years later that he was listening to on repeat and at that same venue. And staying with McGonagall's for a moment and the prospect of getting rocked, it's worth mentioning that McGonagall's was a popular venue for rockers preparing for a large-scale world tour. And just like Def Leppard were doing here in 1992, Ozzy Osbourne played rehearsal gigs at McGonagall's ahead of his world tour the year before in 1991. U2 regularly played McGonagall's in the early stages of their career, and indeed their song The Crystal Ballroom from the deluxe version of their Songs of Innocence album is actually about McGonagall's, because in its heyday, McGonagall's in the 1960s was a ballroom, and it was aptly called The Crystal Ballroom. It changed its name years later when it became a venue for bands. So Let's Get Rocked may not have been played first at a stadium, but it celebrated the beginning of the Def Leppard journey for Vivian Campbell, and it was at a celebrated rock venue. The second public performance, five days later, was very much at a stadium, and it was in front of a hell of a lot more people than 500. On the 20th of April 1992, Def Leppard played three songs at the Freddie Mercury Tribute Concert, which was held to commemorate the Queen singer who had died in November 1991 and raise awareness about AIDS. And of those three songs, sandwiched between Animal and Queen's Now I'm Here, which also featured Brian May, the Leps played Let's Get Rocked for the second time in public. And in a moment, we'll talk about the public reception to Let's Get Rocked. But if you ever watched that footage back, the popularity of that track, particularly with UK audiences at this time, is evident in the reaction of the opening of the song. Now that audience was not a Def Leppard audience, and by no means is there a suggestion here that Def Leppard stole the show in the same way that Queen had done at the very same venue in 1985 at Live Aid. However, there is an audible roar from the crowd that surpasses what other parts of the Lep set receives, and it indicates that this new song at the time had quickly been taken to the heart of the wider public and not just diehard Def Leppard fans. Now luckily the song wasn't spoiled by the fact that Rick Allen's drum set had been set up incorrectly. Because it's electronic, it's all about plugging cables in. However, they plugged Rick's kit in upside down, so when he was hitting the snare drum pedal, it was actually making a bass sound. Def Leppard, and subsequently the song Let's Get Rocked, was played that day in front of 72,000 people at Wembley Stadium and up to an estimated 1 billion people on TV in a concert celebrating the life and works of Freddie Mercury. 
both the stadium and to celebratory boxes had well and truly been ticked. Okay, so we've had the heartwarming gig stories related to Let's Get Rocked. Now we'll have some Let's Get Rocked cold hard facts. Numbers one to five. Okay, so number one, it's the lead single off Adrenalize and it's released in March 1992. Number two, like all songs on Adrenalize, Let's Get Rocked was recorded as a four piece after the death of Steve Clark. Number three, the video was computer animated with the band playing in a computer generated stadium interspersed with CGI animation of a character called Flynn. It's directed by a man called Steve Barron, who also directed other animated music videos that were considered state-of-the-art at the point of release. So, for example, you got Money for Nothing by Dire Straits and Take On Me by Aha, which, to be fair, still is a great video today. The video only features Joe, Sav, Phil and Rick because it was made before Vivian had joined the band. Number four, the B-side, okay... The B-side to Let's Get Rocked is a cover of the Mick Ronson song, Only After Dark. And if you stick around for the full 20 minutes or so, we'll chat a little bit later on about the relevance of this particular song being on Let's Get Rocked and how it fits into the whole story. Number five, okay, chart positions. Right, for those of you who listened to episode two, which was about to pour some sugar on me, you'll remember the shocking revelation that pour some sugar on me only reached 94 in the charts in the Netherlands. And as a consequence, Def Leppard is now obsessed with knowing the chart positions of all Def Leppard singles in the Netherlands, more than any of the other 194 countries on the planet. This is absolutely our priority. So let's get rocked. You'll be glad to know it improved on Sugar by 76 places and it peaked at number 18. In Australia, it reaches number 6. In the US Billboard 100, it reaches number 15. It reaches number one in the mainstream rock chart in the US. Canada, it reaches number three. Well done, Canada. Well done, Canadians. But its highest chart position is in Norway, where it reaches number two. Well done, Norwegians. And also number two in the UK. Well done, us. So there's some background on the chart positions. So five cold, hard facts. What I'd like to do is hone in a little bit on the success of this song in the UK in particular, and just inject a little bit of lived experience and observation here. Let's Get Rocked, along with When Love and Hate Collide, from a chart perspective at least, are the most popular Def Leppard singles ever released in the UK, both charting at number two. But beyond the facts and the figures, Def Leppard, personally recalls as a young teenage Def Leppard fan in the UK in 1992 that there was no other point in Def Leppard's history where I can recall Def Leppard being so present and so prevalent in the UK on the TV, on the radio and in the press. And I've got VHS tapes, remember them, full of various UK Def Leppard appearances from this time. And these are appearances on kids' programmes, through to things like Top of the Pops, Headbangers Ball on MTV Europe and indeed in early 1993 there was a whole day on MTV Europe dedicated to Def Leppard and it was imaginatively titled Def Leppard Day. Well done the creatives for MTV there. So the clip you're about to hear now is from a Saturday morning children's TV programme called Going Live and I actually remember watching this live at the time so I was desperate to consume every bit of Def Leppard content that I could. And it's an interesting clip, because in it, 
we hear the band's own perception about exactly where they are in the popularity stakes in the early 1990s. Have a listen. Do you, do you think you're more popular now than you were in the 80s? Um, in Britain, I'd say it's about the same, really. Um, we've had as many hits off this album as we have so far. You know, we've had four singles so far, three out. And I think the, um, the equivalent of the Hysteria albums, it's about the same. In America, it's, it's about the same as well. But there's a big recession on at the moment, so it's really difficult to equate success from the 80s to, to 93. It's, it's, you can sell maybe half as many records and it'd be, it'd be kind of seen as being twice as successful because there's not much money around it. You're also one of those, one of those bands that has the luxury of, of slicing through trends. I mean, there's all sorts of other things happening around you that happen for about three weeks and then disappear. Yeah. You sort of continue... Hard rock never really... Be never really became fashionable it's always been this like just a steady thing like if it was on a graph it would just be this straight line it has its moments where it has a few hits and then it disappears and it comes back and it never seems to have changed much but everything else around it has so there's a couple of things going on here firstly the band in the early 1990s feel like they've more or less maintained the same levels of success in the public consciousness as they did with hysteria and in the 80s and secondly, we hear a thesis, a hypothesis, if you will, about why at this stage between 1991 and 1993 in particular, and despite being bang in the middle of the grunge movement at its peak, that they haven't yet been rendered irrelevant. And as Joe says, hard rock has never really been fashionable. And this is the same rock of Rock Brigade, Rocks Off, Rock Rock Till You Drop, Rock of Ages, Rock It, and Let's Get Rocked. Loads of rock. And we'd expect Joe Elliott to have some insight and a view into Def Leppard's stability and endurance at this point, when the music that they've released is very much going against the current grain. But what's more telling is that even Philip Schofield is able to see that what Def Leppard are doing at this point is pretty impressive, given the musical habitat that they're in. Now, I appreciate that many of you won't know who Philip Schofield is. But it's safe to say he's not a cutting edge music journalist. Make your way through the smoke, Def Leppard, mean rocking mothers from hell, and heaven is. But a one time children's TV presenter. He broadcasted from a broom cupboard with a puppet called Gordon the Gopher as a sidekick, and now he presents a mid morning magazine style programme called This Morning, which generally consists of a bit of cooking, a cynically sad story, and a feature about 50 different uses for coat hangers. So it's safe to say that Phil's musical spider sense isn't constantly tingling. But in this instance, he's only gone and made a notable and correct observation about our boys Def Leppard and their ability to survive. So let's take a look at the musical landscape around the time of Let's Get Rocked, or at least the musical landscape of guitar-based music played by white men. The grunge scene has exploded at this time. Pearl Jam have released their first album, Ten, in the late summer of 1991. Nirvana have released Nevermind in the autumn or the fall of 1991. And around the same time as this, Soundgarden have released Bad Motorfinger. And in 1992, Alice in Change released Dirt. These are all brilliant bands. These are all brilliant albums. This was the dominant musical force at the time. But when you dig a little bit deeper, there are some similarities. Let's take Nirvana, for example. They're the face of the grunge scene, and arguably the biggest and most critically acclaimed of the Seattle bands from this time. So Kurt Cobain describes Smells Like Teen Spirit 
as, and I quote, not following the guidelines of what is expected of us, and, I quote again, a teen revolutionary anthem. Come As You Are, also by Nirvana, and released in the same month as Let's Get Rocked, is similar. Kurt Cobain said about this that it's about people and how they expect you to act, and it includes the following lyrics. Take your time, hurry up, choice is yours, don't be late. Now these lyrics might be a little bit more finessed, but when you drill down, it's the same sentiment as mow the lawn, walk the dog, take out the trash and tidy your room that appears in Let's Get Rocked. And going back to Smells Like Teen Spirit, just like Let's Get Rocked, it's uplifting in its chorus, it's anthemic, it rocks and it kicks back against authority. And in many ways they are actually very similar. However, it's the sound and the presentation which is completely different. Smells Like Teen Spirit is four chords, simplicity and lovely distortion which gives it a very organic early 90s feel. Def Leppard on the other hand have gone all out fun and released a bag of party tricks. Both approaches work because they're natural to those two bands. So look at a Def Leppard and Let's Get Rocked. It opens with a cheeky question and it's a first person dialogue. It contains screams and wolf whistles and orchestral bursts that playfully back up the lyrics at the appropriate time. And it has a call and response sequence between the backing vocals and the lead vocals. The band shouts to tidy your room and Joe in character responds, come on get real. It's all about fun. There's nothing remotely grungy about it. Now things would change later in the 90s and later than you'd imagine actually. But certainly, in 1992, the party rock of Let's Get Rocked becomes one of Def Leppard's most popular songs, and the band is actually able to happily coexist within and alongside the grunge revolution. Now, kids whose first musical love at this time is Nirvana might not necessarily find anything that they like in the Leps, but for those who maybe are a little bit older and are into the rock of the 1970s and the 1980s, then this looks like a time where you can still like all of that music, you can still like Def Leppard, but you can also get on board with the emerging sound of the early 1990s. And maybe this is why the two types of music are able to exist. Everybody is winning. And as Joe says, and I quote again, the Adrenalized tour was huge, bigger than the Hysteria one. I remember being on our private plane, flying over Manhattan at two in the morning, having just finished a bunch of sold-out shows and saying, yeah, about this grunge thing. So as you can see, Def Leppard and grunge in 1992, they can both flourish. Now staying on the rock theme, obviously, there's a section from the band's speech when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019 that hints at why, in the early 1990s, their natural instinct was to release music that was fun, and was at odds with some of the more earnest music around that time. Have a listen. Now, back then, we were just a bunch of teenage wannabes, living at home, dreaming the dream, and, uh, you know, so without their help and encouragement, it would be a lot tougher to be standing up here on this stage tonight. My mum, for example, taught me my first three chords when I was eight years old. I've learned two more since, and I've come to realize you don't actually really need them at all. 
My dad, who lent us 150 pounds to make our first ever recording back in 1978, which was absolutely the launch pad for this very wild ride that we have been on ever since. Now that, that's, two, that's just two examples of what our folks did for us along the way. And uh, I could stand here all night with great tales of parental you know, support and what have you. Uh, but as basically, as a major significance, it goes without saying that uh, without their, their help and their financial support or otherwise, things would have turned out very, very differently. So, thank you, mums and dads. Thank you very much, mums and dads. Now, we're not going to go all Freudian here and compare the relationships of different bands with their mothers and analyse how that's reflected in their lyrics. But it's clearly that, broadly, the Leps have had happy childhoods and good family relations. Which means it's a superficial and light touch when writing about teenage angst and teenage experience like they do in Let's Get Rocked. It's a positive take on teenage struggles, where the teenager is defiant and rails against authority. And that take is very much in the rock tradition, going all the way back to Alice Cooper's schools out in 1972, where school is out for summer, forever, and the kids blow it to pieces. Going up to 1989 or so, with Skid Row's You've Gone Wild, which proudly opens with the line, Since I was born, they couldn't hold me down. If you're a hard rock band, if your teenage years were actually quite happy and supportive, then when you write about struggles with mum and dad, with authority, like in Let's Get Rocked, it seems inevitable that you'll take a light-hearted and positive angle on it. In comparison, the lyrical content of the early 90s scenes comes from a more autobiographical and introspective place, whether it be Pearl Jam's Alive, which is partly about Eddie Vedder's discovery that the man he thought was his biological father wasn't, or the other massive hit of March 1992, Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Now obviously not grunge, but autobiographical and introspective in the sense that it's about Anthony Cadus's drug addiction and sense of loneliness. And as we know, the Def Leppard story has far more than its fair share of trauma. But this is normally saved for album tracks, like White Lightning, for example, off Adrenalize, which is about Steve Clark and the death of Steve Clark and his addiction. And indeed, it's important to note that Let's Get Rocked was the very last song to be written and recorded on Adrenalize and was very purposely an escape from the darkness of having just before written White Lightning, which was the penultimate song written. In many ways, Let's Get Rocked comes from a happy place at odds with the early 1990s music scene. But buried below it, if you look, there are shades of darkness too in its creation. As we mentioned right at the beginning of this episode, Let's Get Rocked is the last original Def Leppard song to feature the word rock in the title. Whilst they survived the early 1990s and would go on to experiment with slang in the mid-1990s before returning to their typical Def Leppard sound in the late 90s with Euphoria, it seems that perhaps one conscious decision was to drop the songs about rock as the music scene had changed and maybe that was one thing in which they really did want to change with the time and not go back to. And it's interesting that the only time that they do return to such songs songs that explicitly reference rock in the title is on the covers album yeah which reflects the past and the music of the childhood whether it be rock on by david essex or the golden age of rock and roll by motley hoople 
Here, it's okay to shout about rock, but only because it's clearly about them referencing songs from their childhood and songs from the past. Songs about rock from a bygone age. So, did Def Leppard continue to rock after Let's Get Rocked? Well, of course they did. Of course they did. I'll put that question at the beginning. You knew what the answer was. If you pick any Def Leppard album post-Adrenalize, you'll be able to find banging rock tunes no problem at all. The only thing is, they just don't have rock in the title. They're a little bit more subtle. They've moved on a little bit from that 70s and 80s tradition. And the signs of the way in which Def Leppard and the sound of Def Leppard would evolve after Adrenalize and how they would rock in different ways and take new directions is actually there on the B-side to Let's Get Rocked and all of the other Adrenalize singles. And I'll explain now by first reading the section from the fan club magazine back at the beginning of 1992. So in the fanzine, the question is, why only 10 tracks when a lot of albums contain 14 to 18 tracks? And what Joe Elliott goes on to say is as follows. There will be a total of about 25 tracks in the whole Adrenalize project. They obviously will not be all on the album, but we think it's better to do it this way. There is less chance then that people can say it would have been a great single album. I personally think a lot of albums that have come out recently are just simply too long. This way we can redress the balance and it breaks the whole project up a bit. Instead of the kids buying a double album and that's their lot for the next X number of years, they have something else to look forward to. The kid or whoever has bought the album and then a few months later a new single comes out and has a bonus unreleased track on it, he's cocky hoop. The same thing happens a few more months after that and once again they're pleased to get even more new material. It gives everybody something else to look forward to. The fans are then getting new songs as the tour and the whole project moves along. I think that it's much better than getting a glut of songs all at once and chanting information overload. And Joe's right here, I think. If you actually look at the B-sides that accompany all of the singles off Adrenalize, and that includes Let's Get Rocked, they really are an eclectic mix and a quantum leap in regards to variety. For what's come before, if you look at other Def Leppard singles and Def Leppard B-sides throughout their career. On Let's Get Rocked, we have the first Def Leppard serious studio recording of a cover song, Only After Dark by Mick Ronson. Now, Release Me is on the B-side of Rocket. That's really just a novelty song and it's a bit of a laugh. And also, I know there's a B-side of Traveling Man as well, but that's live. This is the first time they've actually tried to record a good version of a cover song that they hold close to their hearts. And on other Adrenalize singles as well, there's acoustic tracks, whether they be the original version of Two Steps Behind, this is the version without the orchestra, or songs like From the Inside, and other acoustic covers by Hendrix and the Rolling Stones that are written under the auspices of the Acoustic Hippies from Hell, a collaboration with the Hothouse Flowers. Now, cover versions and acoustic songs might not seem particularly radical now, but trust me, if you go back to 1992 and Def Leppard, there really is very little of this type of diversity before 1992 in the recordings and what they offer. So to the hipster musical journalist of the early 1990s, Def Leppard may have been out of touch with the kids. Kids who prefer the introspection of grunge rather than the optimism and party mood of Let's Get Rocked. And maybe sonically, the Leps were about to succumb to a change in the times and trends that always occur within music 
as music goes around in cycles. But one thing Def Leppard never were in regards to their fans and the kids is they were never disingenuous. If you look at Let's Get Rocked, the B-side and a whole package of Adrenalize, it was all designed, as Joe says, for the kids. Let's Get Rocked may have sounded out of step with the musical mood at the time. It may have been the last song where the Leps would wear rock on their sleeve. But it was also part of about 25 Adrenalized tracks that indicated they'd go all away, they'd get out and play, they'd rock the night away, but just a bit differently to how they had done before. <laughs> 